Welcome to The Journey with Senior Pastor Marty Grebs of Crossings Community Church, a podcast where he explores God's extraordinary work in everyday people. I'm sitting here with Pastor Ron Mon, who is the pastor of our Life Care Ministries. And uh, this is part of a, a dream we had 25 years ago to be able to offer quality, godly counseling to the people in our church family. And uh, Ron came along, and he's been such a tremendous blessing, a tremendous friend, and certainly has changed a lot of lives of people in this community. So, Ron, thanks for doing this. I've got some real quick questions just to help the audience get to know you. All right. So, where are you from? Miami, Florida. Oh, Miami, Florida. Okay. How long have you been in ministry? Uh, Shortly after Jesus ascended, something (laughs) like that. (laughs) I I guess it's been 40-plus years. Okay. Uh, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? Oh, Vail, Colorado. Absolutely. Well, I think I'd be your year neighbor. round. What's your favorite hobby? I'm in the ministry for Jesus. I don't have mobs. <laughs> yes, of course you don't. Uh, I, I like puttering out in the yard um, and building projects when I can get some assistance. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. OU or OSU? Oh, come on. I graduated OU, okay. 1976. Yeah, we'll keep praying for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, what's a top 10 book other than the Bible in your life? Oh, two of them, but uh, Freeman's Failure of Nerve. Uh, it's a great leadership book. And then uh, devotionally, or I think uh, Gentle and Lowly by Ortland is a recent read that I, I would put right up there, top five. He's a great author. Yeah. So what is one thing you would tell your younger self? If you could give your younger self some advice, what would it be? Um, you know, it's a cliche, don't sweat the big stuff, but I, I look at how much anxiety that I, you know, emote and emit over lots of things that really in the long run and looking back didn't need that kind of buy-in. Favorite Bible character? Daniel. Oh, yeah. Best meal you've ever had? That would be 2001, New Year's Eve. Uh, we were at Disney World and we as a family uh, went to the Albert and Victoria restaurant in the Grand Floridian. I don't know if it's even still there, but that was a memorable experience to see my kids, uh, my wife, and her parents um, around that table and coursing through its standout way to spend New Year's. Sounds great. Yeah, it was great. Coffee or tea? What's tea? <laughs> okay, there's our answer. Yeah. So I want to go back to one of these other questions uh, that I just had a thought um, one thing you would tell your younger self, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I find myself increasingly, uh, if I'm not careful, regretful or um, regretting some things, I suppose, uh, decisions I may have made or the way I made them Absolutely. or the way I treated some people <laughs> in the days when I really didn't know what I was doing. I'm not sure I still do, but I would lo- for me, I'd love to go back and I wish I could uh, do a better job learning how to lead earlier than I did. So for you, if you could go back to those first five to 10 years of your career path, what would you say I would love to go back and redo that? You know, that shoulda, coulda, woulda um, keeps yeah. you up at night. That's um, why we have counseling. That's right. Uh, but the counselor is, spends hours in the middle of the night going, geez, I wish I hadn't, I wish I could have. I think if, if I had to start over again, and this is both 
ministerially, pastorally, but personally too, um, not to get so anxious that I, my temper would flare, not to get so intense that I would push uh, whatever project I was working on or whatever I thought needed to happen. If I could have just been a gentler self um, and informed that uh, God's got this uh, more than, I, than I've got this, and uh, that when I would get anxious, when I would get intense, or when I would let my temper fly, it didn't help. It didn't help anybody around. It didn't produce a better product. It just stressed. So if I could do it again, um, I, that's where I would begin. Ron, I'd like you to uh, tell your story. I'd like to know, and I think our audience would like to know, uh, where did Ron Mon come from? And what shaped you? And where were you born? And when did you first know there was a, a Savior that loved you unconditionally? Uh, it's easy to uh, poke at that a little bit. Uh, I, I was talking to Todd about this interview, and one of the things he said, what you're, we want to lift up your life before Christ. And I thought, well, that was somewhere between four and six, and I really was a terrible toddler. So um, that's what Jesus saved me from. Uh, somewhere between four and six. I, my first awareness was at, uh, that I can remember was Mrs. Circle, a Sunday school teacher at West Fogger Park Baptist Church in Miami, Florida, came over and it was Christmas time because we sat next to the Christmas tree. She had a book there about uh, the manger and uh, the Christmas story. And the characters of Jesus and Joseph and Mary were introduced to me in that those... Um, minutes with her. And it was a recruiting visit. I, looking back, I know that she was there trying to bring our family into uh, West Flagler Park um, and uh, meeting me and so that I would be comfortable going to Sunday school. I fell in love with her. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kept a relationship with her throughout my youth and uh, early adulthood. Uh, and she was a significant um, bearer of the truth of Jesus. But so was my dad. He was my first faith hero. Mm. And uh, if you look at my story, I want to start that story with uh, a verse. And it comes out of one, uh, Psalm 139. And this really is the truth of my life. Uh, and I'll tell you why. So let me give you the verse first. You created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Hmm. So why this is so significant to me, particularly that when I was made in the secret place, because I was truly conceived in a secret place. I was the result of a tryst between a barmaid and the bar owner uh, in uh, uh, New York, and uh, she conceived. He offered her an abortion in Canada, and this is 1953. She refused that. She attempted suicide, though, as an alternative uh, and was not successful. Uh, and so relocated to Florida. Uh, as uh, things unfolded, she used the uh, uh, obstetrician that my mother used. 
and that my dad's sister was the attending nurse. He worked, she worked for him. So this woman comes in in labor, and she called, my Aunt Mabel called my dad and said, we have this woman who's going to give this baby up for adoption. Mother and dad had not succeeded in conceiving uh, a child. They had been married about five years or so. Uh, my dad said, uh, yes, we want this baby. And uh, the woman almost died in delivery. And uh, the hospital bill, I remember mom and dad telling me was $500, which was a very expensive bill in 1954. Yes. Um, They used uh, the money they had saved for a brand new car to get a brand new baby. And uh, my mom was really resistant. In fact, uh, she uh, and dad came to... uh, pick me up at the hospital. They were signed these forms, and my mother hesitated. And my dad put the pen in her hand um, as they related to me and said, sign, Mary. And so that's how I came to be uh, raised by Don and Mary Mon in Miami, Florida. Uh, and he truly was my first space here. This was seen by him as a gift from the Lord. Um, I was raised with that understanding that the Lord had brought me to them. Uh, and uh, that God's hand was very instrumental uh, in my conception. Uh, it was a blessed conception, not uh, a, something seen in shame. Uh, and uh, they spoke very uh, uh, well of the bio mother and uh, were never denigrated or anything of that sort. They eventually adopted my half-brother of the same uh, bio mother. Uh, And then that woman went on to have other children, which I have become acquainted with. So you look at the course of all this and you just go, wow, God's hand has been on you. So at four, we start uh, church life at West Lager Park Baptist Church in Miami. Uh, At six and a half, I do come to a sense of what Jesus's love was, what it happened on the cross, as much as a six and a half, seven-year-old could Uh, conceive and understand that. Sin was probably lying or, you know, um, doing some acting out with your your being bad. Uh, But there was indeed this sense, I needed Jesus, and I understood that. I was baptized when I was seven in the tradition of Southern Baptist to immersion. Uh, And then around nine, I started understanding the church structure uh, I understood um, ministry and what pastors did in a very limited way. So that was of interest to me. At 14, I definitely, in a church camp, heard that sense, I would like for you to do this, Ron. Uh, and it was really identifying. I'm sure there were adolescent issues of identity and all those things that go into that moment. And then a year later, there was an unfolding that, you know what I really want you to do, Ron, is to become a therapist, or I didn't use that word, counselor. It occurred to me one morning in May of 1969. I was 15. Um, May in Southern Baptist life at that time was family emphasis life, or Mm. family life emphasis. The sermon that morning was on parenting or marriage or something related. And it occurred to me, you could take psychology, which I had become aware of, and scripture and integrate those and really offer something to other believers in the way of counseling and helping their life. I don't know where at 15 I had 
that kind of insight, but it became the guiding um, sense of calling. And uh, that's what I walked after. I went, had the blessed, blessed privilege of going to the University of Oklahoma. Uh, and because the, of the Baptist Student Union there and the Navigator program that was um, instigated under Max uh, Barnett, uh, there was a, one of the staffers uh, there at the BSU was Bill Yon, um, and Bill poured into my life uh, along with others in that season and really helped me develop my, the disciplines of faith. And then I went on to seminary and then into ministry, um, expanding those, that opportunity and uh, eventually got my degree in uh, counseling and based on, and combining that with my theological training, um, integrated a, or formed an integrative approach to counseling that is best practice in the clinical field but very informed by scripture, very informed by our discipleship and our growth in Jesus. How does a guy growing up in Miami, Florida, even know about OU? Very, again, God's hand, huh? Yeah. Um, it's hard for me to fathom that, but I, but my, I, the, I believe you. The student activities director, <laughs> Jackie Eads, who became my spiritual mother, uh, I... I don't know how she put up with me in high school, but she did and allowed me a lot of access to her. And had, she had a Bible study uh, on uh, Thursday nights. And through her, I met uh, Brett Yon, Bill's younger brother. He was what was a, it was called a US2 home missionary. He was at University Baptist Church there in Miami. He was returning to the University of Oklahoma to do a navigator summer. Okay. And so, um, this was of college students, and I'm a junior entering senior in high school. But my, he allowed, and my parents uh, gave permission uh, for me to go with this group back to OU for the summer in this navigator training summer. Okay. And uh, they put up with a junior, and I look back on the things that they did put up with that summer. I probably fell in love for the first time with a girl named Carol, and I can remember bugging them for their cars to go on a date. I mean, you know, I was there probably more for <laughs> the fun of it and maybe 1,600 miles from my folks. It was that first taste of independence. But all those guys and all those gals in their college years uh, at that time wrapped themselves around me and tolerated the immaturities and really um, spoke blessing into my life. So it was an easy... Um, Put to say, hey, let's go back to OU. I, at the time, I was headed to Kentucky uh, to go to school at uh, Camelsville, uh, mm -hmm. which is a Baptist school in Kentucky. Um, but it kind of the whole course changed. Out of that, mm -hmm. uh, I was influenced to go to uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary by LeVon Brown, pastor of First Baptist Church there in Norman. Legendary. Yeah. Pastor. Um, oh, yeah. Married us. Uh, Wonderful pastor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he and I spent time together. He really uh, uh, reached out to me, as did a, another pa uh, pastor on staff, Glenn Faison. Glenn sp spent two years meeting with me weekly, teaching me mm. the rudiments of pastoring and the running a church administratively. And, of course, then I go to Southwestern instead of Southern in Louisville, uh, go to Southwestern in Fort Worth and meet Kim. She, we were, uh, it was the first day of cl 
class of my first semester. She's in, uh, ironically, uh, The Psychology of Religion by Chester, uh, Dr. Chester Grounds. And she's sitting over there and I'm going, my goodness, best looking woman on campus. <laughs> uh, and so I went and sat down next to her and uh, we struck up a relationship, a friendship that uh, she was en engaged practically to another guy. Um, but we struck up a friendship through that semester. Uh, and then she, we come back for the second semester and she tells me she's broken up with the gentleman she was uh, nearly engaged to. And uh, our first date, I see that was in January, was February 14th. Oh, wow. Valentine's 1977. Day. Yeah, I didn't waste much time. God had a plan. Yeah, you and you just see that over and over yeah. and over again. God's plan. So from graduation, from seminary, um, you know, you've had a, I think, a very uh, broad range of appreciation for uh, churches of all kinds. Yes. And, and that's one thing that always struck me about you when we met. Um, because I knew, you know, we knew your roots were in the Baptist church, which uh, I still will say the Baptist church has uh, been a great giver of gifts yes. to the church through the decades. Yes. They really taught us how to do Sunday school. Yes. They taught us how to do discipleship. And um, I, and early on in being the pastor here at, in Oklahoma City, I've been in every Baptist church in this town. I could mention them and a That's a lot people, of churches. A lot of people would know about them. I would go walk, if I could get in, you know, in those days, nobody was worried about security. That's right. So you'd invariably find a door unlocked in a church where you could kind of ramble the halls. That's right. And I would go do that. I, uh, so I have great appreciation for the Baptist churches in this town who uh, I could just look on their bulletin boards, you know, and see what they were doing and the kind of classes they were offering. So we both have an appreciation for that. But um, I think for both of us, we, we also have found um, some wonderful theology and friends in other camps. And so I think it's, I think it's worthwhile hearing your thoughts on that and, and how you, um, you ended up at a church here in Oklahoma City uh, with a mutual friend. We had a mutual friend in Patrick Bright at All Souls Episcopal Church. Wonderful man, godly man, yeah. brilliant man. So I'm curious sure. the journey for you that took you from the Baptist Church in Miami to Norman, Oklahoma, and then into a career path that connected you in ways to people of faith that it would have been easier to argue over what you didn't agree on, but you rallied around what you did agree on. So in 1985, I started a second theological degree. My first degree was... Um, I degree in uh, religious education. Uh, and uh, the second degree was a master's of divinity. The, the most accessible seminary at that point here in Oklahoma City, because I had just completed my clinical pastoral education at uh, Baptist Medical Center. and was now on staff in their department of pastoral care doing counseling and working psychiatric, uh, the psychiatric uh, floor. Uh, I started this MDiv, this Masters of Divinity, at Phillips Graduate Seminary. Well, that was a whole different uh, color of theological education. They are a what we call form critical. I won't go into the ins and outs of that, but it is a more progressive understanding 
uh, and theological education. Out of that, I started uh, conversations with Methodists, with Presbyterian, with Episcopal, as well as Disciples of Christ. Uh, and in my own journey, I was looking for something else. Uh, and there were some things going on in Southern Baptist life that were very disconcerting. Uh, out of that, I, Kim and I started looking at the Episcopal tradition and experience. And actually, we, we didn't start at All Souls. We started at St. Paul's Cathedral downtown. We made our way into the Episcopal tradition out of Southern Baptist life. Um, it was a very different way of doing church. They had ancient forms of worship called liturgy. Um, and it spoke to my heart in new ways. Uh, it's a very tactile, experiential worship. Uh, a little different than evangelical uh, experience, uh, very formal, uh, very reverent. And so, you know, quiet is really valued. And uh, that opened up some new doors of contemplation. So we made a, a shift and we decided that uh, God was giving us permission to move into this new tradition and to benefit from some of its um, approaches to worship as well as some of its theological understandings. Uh, and we were there 17 years uh, and tearing uh, and working. And I was involved in the diocese as well as uh, on the vestry at St. Paul's. We looked seriously at uh, moving into what they call orders, mm -hmm. uh, becoming reordained as an Episcopal priest. Uh, and uh, all of that was evolving and then came to a quick halt. Uh, things were going on in the um, Episcopal Church nationally, as well as in the diocese here in Oklahoma, did, did not resonate. I had been through one of these with Southern Baptist life, and I really uh, was wary of another conflict that was so pervasive. Uh, we did um, transition from St. Paul's to All Souls. I got to know Patrick uh, Bright, the rector there, and uh, was a really good friend in a sweet time. Uh, it was a kind of a, a I don't know if it would be the word healing time, but it was certainly a year out. Mm. And which I, again, God's doing some things in my heart and, and as well as Kim. And we both concluded, um, well, maybe this is where we're supposed to be, but we're not sure. And then uh, Jeff Stewart called one uh, February 3rd, uh, <laughs> 2005, and offered me the opportunity to come on staff here. I had been for about a year and a half praying, God, I'm doing counseling here. I'm doing integrative work, but I'm in isolation, basically. I'm in an office by myself um, with the fellowship of some colleagues, but it was, I'm looking for more. I want to teach. Uh, I want to engage church, the church again in a new way. And he calls. And I say, well, let me pray about this. Yes. <laughs> I think we dated for about three months as we, we got to know each other better, uh, got to know you at that time. And it was just clear. It was time to transition again. And now we're going to transition into uh, a very different form of worship. Uh, and it's become three forms of worship uh, and an affiliation with the Church of God Anderson and Wesleyan roots, um, which come out of Episcopal roots. Mm -hmm. There's some, some overlap mm -hmm. and overlay, but it is a different understanding and a different approach um, to ministering to Christ's church. And uh, it has been a really uh, 
fulfilling 17 plus years now. I've been allowed such breath and flexibility and blessing over expanding um, the ministry we now call Life Care, which is our counseling support and recovery um, opportunities here. The, The support you give for people being honest and transparent with where they are and then giving them opportunity to grow beyond that, to allow uh, their healing to jettison emotional and relational baggage that would get in the way of their spiritual growth and maturity. And that's what we're about. I mean, really what we do is discipleship, mm-hmm. um, just offloading those things that get in the way, walking through people. because Just because you're walking after Christ doesn't mean life is going to go smoothly or as you would hope. And so we also get to attend to those disappointments, brief divorce, you know, challenging parenting situations, challenging marital situations. Um, yeah, and it's such a blessing to get to do this and then to, to explore new ways of doing it. We're always growing and looking for ways to expand what we're doing. We've got some great opportunities on the horizon that we are um, exploring and hoping they... Uh, come to fruition. You know, Ron, I remember the day that it was clear to me that the church had to offer more mm-hmm. than I'll pray for you. That's good. And there's power in prayer or, um, come to church or go to Sunday school. Um, I, you know, I was probably 30 at that point. If, if that, but right around 30 years old. And a, a young man that um, had been a part of our church really all of his life, but he hadn't been engaged that much. His family, his grandparents had been instrumental uh, in even helping get our church started. And so uh, they've all, now they're all, that family, all of them are now with the Lord, but this young man had a terrible drinking problem. Mm. And I remember the day he came to see me and I could smell it. He'd, he'd already, he'd, he'd had some, something to drink, and it was a little too early for that. Um, and I, I, I didn't know what to say to him. It, it, you know, I, I couldn't look at him and go, well, well just stop drinking. Yeah. Just, just stop it. Just stop, you know. That, that doesn't It works work. in comedy, but it doesn't it, work yeah, in real it life. It worked for Bob Newhart, yes. you know. But, uh, and, and I thought, and so I prayed as earnestly and, and uh, passionately as I could pray for this young man to help him. Uh, but when he walked out, I realized, you know, I'd grown up in church. And I was at, at 30 really starting to realize there, there's some stuff inside of me that I don't understand. Yeah. And if I, if I don't deal with this um, or figure out what it is, if it even is something, you know. So, but then the picture I got that day, and I've explained this several times, it was like getting started in a path toward Jesus. It was like climbing a ladder, you know, and you, you get started somewhere in your life. Somebody helps you get on the first step. And in your case, in my case, it was our parents. Right. They took us to church. Right. Uh, but for whatever reason, when this young man left my office that day, it just hit me, the ladder's too high. Mm. He, he can't reach the first yes. rung of the ladder. Right. 
He didn't have anyone to say, let me lift you up and help you get started. And in my mind, you know, because I'm not a very brilliant anything, <laughs> theologian or anything, but in my mind, it was like, I've got to get, it's like a, 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 a ladder, an extensions ladder, you know. I need to get up there and I need to pull this thing down. It's a great image. Where my friends starting with alcohol can take the first step. Right. Now, what's that look like? Right. And I wasn't, I could... I could tell him that he could take the first step, but that's when I realized we need some help beyond what I'm capable of providing. I think I understood just enough to know we are wired up, all very up. We're all uh, created uh, wonderfully and fearfully or whatever, you know. And uh, I began to realize that in our church, we had people that were very confused and didn't know where to get help or yep. how to start. Yep. And that's when I said to our board at the time, we need to have a budget that we'll use to pay for counseling for people to get help that we can't provide and they can't afford. And that's where it started. And then in February of, you know, what year was it? When, 05. 05. So that's, uh, you know, that's now 10 years, probably later, five, 10 years after this encounter I had. Uh, we realized that this is a key piece of discipleship was some, a pastor called to help connect the dots between where they were stuck and where they wanted to be, where we knew they needed to be, but they couldn't get there. And it took, it took the, the gift God had given you to build that bridge. Hmm. And had we not, and I, I have to give the nudge from God that day to say, I knew I did not, I did not have the skill set uh, to help this young man go from where he was to where he needed to be. I could pray for him, and I did. I could encourage him, and I did. But I didn't have the tools. I didn't understand the human mind. I didn't understand how the brain's wired up, why we are prone to do certain things in our lives that are destructive. I didn't understand any of that. I needed counseling. <laughs> So we hired one. Um, but that's where I, I'm, I just remember the day of that encounter with that young man, ultimately leading us to then provide counseling, but then to say, we need to bring someone into the halls of the church who will walk through this journey with them. And then Ron Mon was yeah. that guy. And, and I Thank cannot you. tell you what it has meant, the blessing it has meant um, to have a church where we could not just say, we're going to be transparent and honest that we all struggle with something. We could just not say it. We could live it out. We could practice it. And there was, you didn't have to leave the church to get help. That's so significant. You know, for millennia, for centuries, people came to the priest, the pastor, to find that kind of support. So there's something sacred about coming into sure. God's house and reaching out to one of God's shepherd. Uh, and that's what's unique about it. As I looked at across the United States and different approaches to um, integrating faith and counseling, the ones that stuck out the best to me, that the best effort, uh, is exactly what we have been allowed to develop here. And that is people come to the church, God's house, to uh, find God uh, through the shepherding of the 
I, I like the phrase clinical pastors. They are trained clinically, but they are pastors. And right. when, we, when we bring a new person on, we are looking, what is your calling to uh, the pastorate? Are you called as a shepherd? And then have you had the clinical training needed to do this work? Uh, but it is very, uh, it is a ultimate priority that we do this within the building and that we are utilizing God's called shepherds to offer uh, this process of healing, uh, this process of discipleship, this process of spiritual growth. And we work very diligently to be sure that we are offering what is in the clinical field the best practice uh, approach to whatever is being presented to us. We realize when something is probably beyond the scope of what we can address here at Crossing. So we have a network of providers in the, uh, the Oklahoma City area that we can partner with in helping this individual. But we really want to uh, impart that sense of they have experienced God with skin on, if you will, yeah. through that shepherd. Uh, and we have been, I think we have six now. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, we need more, Marty. No. <laughs> and, you know, and, you know, that's, to me, when you say we need more therapists, that's, to me, a wonderful sign. Yeah. That's not anything to say, oh, no, we need more. You have given such permission for people to be vulnerable and transparent with what they are. That's really uncomfortable, and that's really not the tradition, at least uh, in recent history. You go to church, you clean it up, and you present well. The church has been the last place yeah. you wanted to go and admit or confess anything. And when you've got psychologists, therapists, licensed professional counselors or mar licensed marriage and family therapists out there um, where they can go and not necessarily encounter what we can offer, but it, they don't, their transparency happens in a, in a room um, and away from their church, uh, that separation I understand totally but we think we offer something that allows them to find a freedom in, hey, I'm broken, and, I, and we very gently, and, but with clarity, uh, offer them something to in the way of healing. I think that is unique, and we, I certainly appreciate the blessing that you've given on transparency. But not just to be transparent, you've given a, them a way to address the the hurt, the brokenness that they're experiencing and um, bless their journey in that. Yeah. You know, I, I, be, I believe in the power of prayer. Yeah. I believe in the power of God's word. That's right. I believe all those things. But even if you look at the people Jesus chose to be his, who ultimately would be his disciples, the, the original disciples, are people we would never allow to even walk in the building and teach Sunday school. That's right. And when you start looking at how Jesus did that, you I wish more pastors could learn from that and, um, and make room in their, in their lives, in their hearts for people who are different, who see things differently, or who are confused. You know, one of my, another first encounter I had, uh, I was invited to be on the board of the Oklahoma Christian Counseling Center, a phenomenal uh, ministry over by Mercy Hospital. And I don't know why they allowed me to be on that board, but it was, it was more for me than it was for them. And I met some wonderful people. And I remember having, um, entering a very different moment uh, 
uh, in my life in, in a relationship um, with um, a staff member. Mm. And I went to, I thought, okay, I'm going to go run it by this counselor that I met who sat in our board meetings. I'm going to go run it by her. And I said, I, I really believe that uh, what I need to do is really just keep my distance and to avoid any conflict there and let's be, keep it at peace. And, um, and she said, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's not right. And I said, what? She goes, you need to press into that. Yeah. And I didn't want to do that. And that's not the answer I thought I'd get. Yeah. But even out of that experience, I thought I would never have known to do that, to mm. press into it. Because mm. it made perfect sense to me to have a boundary and avoid it. Yep. And it reminded me then that this fabulous Christian therapist had training and understanding about the human mind that enabled me to navigate a very difficult situation. So those were the things along the way that made it seem like a no-brainer yeah. to go down this path. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as you know, I, I've tried to stay transparent. I don't like this fake it till you make it. And I don't like to give the impression that I'm, I'm got, I've got the holy... Grail, you know, I, I am the holy of the holies in my, in my uh, I have a throne somewhere that I sit on. Yeah. And I think many pastors do that. They don't even know they're doing it, uh, but they feel like they've got to be that. They're afraid to share their, their concerns, their, their deepest issues. And I think we're seeing across the country and all kinds of denominations where pastors are getting in trouble. And my first thought when I hear that is, not another one bites the dust. Yeah. It's... They never probably felt they had somebody they could talk to about it. So um, I just see the benefit in so many ways. So is, is the idea that guys like us at our age, we've been out there in our career path 40 years or something like that. Is there a way to help this, the 20-somethings in our world? Or is it just part of life you've got to figure out how you're wired and how you're going to use your gifts and what are the uh, warning signs or what are the danger zones? Is that just part of life or is there something that we could do for our 20-somethings to, to prevent them from being in their 60s regretting something? Or is this just called life? No, I don't think it's just called life. I think that... Uh, well, as you know, I have a real heart for working one-to-one with young guys and mentoring them, um, particularly if they're headed toward ministry or they're in ministry. But even if they're not deepening their, their walk with Jesus, um, I think that there's some things that one can do in one's 20s to sidestep. Uh, I'm pretty transparent because I want them to know those struggles that I've had because I think you can make choices differently. Uh, and so self-awareness becomes really important uh, and aware of those things in you that trigger, uh, when they trigger, when does anxiety spike? Because almost all of that comes from anxiety. Occasionally, some of it comes from entitlement, but most of it is just, am I going to produce a product? Is, is this going to go well? Am I going to get hurt in this or am I, is my reputation going to be protected in this? I think those are great questions 
that uh, 20-somethings could ask themselves to be aware of their family of origin, those experiences they've had to that point, and to understand the gifts and the legacy that are in those early experiences of family of origin, but also to understand where was the dysfunction, how did it impact me, how has it shaped me, so maybe I'm replicating it, I'm not duplicating it necessarily, but I'm replicating it, and it's really impacting the way I go about life. Uh, and uh, if I have that kind of insight, then I'm um, positioned better to make better decisions about how I act and respond or react and uh, move in dysfunctional ways. You know, it's, it occurs to me that probably one of the greatest things we can encourage, um, maybe even starting in high school, in, or through college, but one of the greatest things we might could encourage in, in younger generations is find a mentor quick. Absolutely. Find one person you're willing to divulge everything about your life, the way you think, your regrets, um, and work through uh, understanding yourself. And, uh, you know, the Bible, or, uh, we've called it in the church world discipleship, one-on-one. Right. -on -one. right. Uh, and I believe it is discipleship. It's, it's becoming a disciple and a follower of Jesus. But along the way, you have to understand yourself. We, we both have learned that, maybe the hard way. We have to know who we are and who we're not. That's right. Because I spend a lot of time pretending, you know, being something I thought someone wanted me to be. But it just seems to me one of our greatest, um, one of the greatest things we could give to our young men and women who've or out of college, starting their careers, maybe starting families, is to have one person, have, a, have a, a person in your life that you can say it all to. It seems to me that would be a very beneficial thing we could do to the younger generation or do for a younger generation. You know, I had parts of that. I came up through Navigators, which really emphasizes mm -hmm. that one-to-one -one. Uh, I see discipleship. I've kind of in my own mind semantically separate discipleship from just claiming the disciplines um, or means of grace, as Cliff would say. Uh, and then there's that mentoring, which is where we go into that in-depth transparency. Uh, so finding uh, a mentor who is emotionally safe, yeah. has a maturity, uh, isn't trying to replicate themselves in you, but as uh, is there to sh help shape and give feedback uh, as uh, that relationship develops. Uh, I think that really is a significant gift uh, that allows that uh, young man or young woman to mature in ways that uh, sidesteps maybe some of the dysfunction that they have been exposed to, some of those internal um, character design that is not going to serve them as well as if they would mature beyond that. So I really believe in that mentoring, and it's a real gift when a young person can find that. And I think we as older people, this is a way of giving legacy that we, we do come. And it's not to say, you know, I walked through three feet of snow in, in Miami. That was tough uh, <laughs> even to find, you know. I'm finding it. Right. I'm not, I'm not so um, caught in my own experience mm -hmm. that I'm dictating, but my, my experiences inform how I hear that young person and how together we, we navigate um, that transition into full adulthood and a godly adulthood. Mm -hmm.
there, there was a time in our church when I realized that all the Bible studies in the world were not going to help someone fully embrace or understand what it looked like to follow Jesus. The Bible is God's word. It's powerful. You know, I believe all those things. But I learned even if you're a follower of Christ, even if you're a pastor, there are things we don't know or understand about ourselves. And uh, we, we needed help to, to me, I, it's just another form of discipleship, mm. basically. For us, it was. And um, I look at Paul and Barnabas, for example. They needed each other. They, you know, they had a parting of ways. They, they came back, and, and the friendship was, a, was again uh, uh, working for them. But we all need somebody that can tell us some truth we can't face ourselves. We can know scripturally that it's there. It convicts us of that. But it's different when you have someone that you can say it to and walk it out. So through our lives, we have all kinds of challenges, whether spiritual, physical, mental, whatever. You have had, you were thrown a curveball. Yeah. Scared us to death. And it was the curveball called cancer. Mm -hmm. Walk us through those uh, moments when that news came and uh, what that was like. Well, we're approaching two years. Uh, so in the midst of COVID, uh, August of 2020, uh, yeah, uh, I was really aware that I was, something was wrong. I was fatigued. I would walk up the stairs and I'm short of breath. Uh, one uh, day late in August, uh, Kim was in the office and I said, my heart feels weird. And uh, it continued. And so she took me over to the heart hospital. Um, Dr. Valak was my uh, cardiologist uh, of record. They had me in the ER. They're doing all this stuff. He's upstairs. They're talking to him. And he's going, it's not his heart. It's, I think, his blood. Joey Grubbs. Uh, your brother is my uh, regular doctor, and uh, between Dr. Ballack and Dr. Grubbs, they uh, conferred and uh, sent me over to Dr. Geister, Brian Geister, uh, a great believer. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did some more workup. They did a tap, a, a spinal tap, and uh, came up with a diagnosis of um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, this particular um, flavor of leukemia uh, was what they call Philadelphia positive. And basically, two chromosomes had crossed, um, and 9 and 22, and they create a protein that creates abnormal white blood cells. And I was 95% impacted. Survivor rate is about, uh, five-year survivor rate is about 10% to 15%, depending on the studies. But in 07, a new protocol of um, chemotherapy had been introduced. This is called childhood leukemia. Um, children go through this rather resiliently, and the cure rate or the remission and cure rate are, is high. But in a geriatric population, <laughs> I qualify, um, not so much. Uh, and so you have these um, daunting survival rates. Uh, but uh, we were sent over to Stevenson uh, Cancer Center at OU. Dr. Ikaguchi is, was assigned to me as my oncologist. She used a protocol that is used at MD Anderson. She was willing to let me do the 45 to 50-year-old protocol um, because I was in decent shape. 
And um, Dr. Holter is another one of her team. I remember in October they came and uh, did a molecular study, and it was gone after the first treatment uh, round of chemotherapy. They did the succeeding seven um, that had spinal injections as well because it was in the brain. Um, all of that. That's the, the good news, right? Or that's the bow. Um, the truth of it is, it was, is what happened in this family of faith. I was surrounded with prayer. I was surrounded with your friendship. Um, it was disconcerting, the, the daunting. The, the numbers did not look good. Um, I remember uh, being, um, in, in, we, we went to the chapel one Sunday evening, the elders, a few of the elders, yourself and others gathered around. I was anointed, both Kim and I, and Kim heard the Holy Spirit speak to her, and this is really something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> something she needs to share probably, but she heard the Holy Spirit said, I will be as a fire going through his bones. Mm. <clears throat> Which if you knew the, the chemotherapies that are used, it is a fire going through your bones. Um, but I would be healed. That's what she was assured of. Mm. And that's exactly uh, what occurred. But the, those days of those first six to eight, 12 weeks, um, I started out kind of bargaining. You know, in Isaiah 38, Hezekiah is on his deathbed and he's bemoaning that he's dying. And he's, he's praying to God, give me, give me 15 more years. And so um, God sends him Isaiah and says, you've been granted those 15 years. Um, and so my reading that, I was going, God, give me 15 years only. I want 21 because I was, really thought I was going to die at 87 um, details. But if you give me those, Uh, I promise I'll do better with them than Hezekiah did because King Hezekiah kind of compromises Israel in his leadership. And I I swore, if you let me have this, I will not compromise um, what you called me to. Uh, And that kind of started that journey. Um, My spiritual director calls it an odyssey. It was an odyssey because you don't know all the things you're going to encounter. Uh, But about six to weeks in, it one morning, I was in my hospital bed over at OU, and it just occurred to me, it is not about whether I survive this or die to this. It's not about the number of years I get if I am allowed that. It's not even what I do with those years in productivity, ministry-wise. What it's about is walking deeply with Jesus. And it really crystallized this concept that those early days, those weeks in the hospital were a spiritual retreat mm-hmm. and which Jesus's presence, but his love, his providence, his giving to me the, uh, himself and uh, restored health. Um, it was that intimacy that became the uh, leading edge of all that. Uh, all the prayer. It, 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 so it goes up the vertical, right? But it was, and that went deep, but it was also the horizontal. All these people 
are texting and writing on Facebook their prayer support for me and their thoughts for me. It was like going to your own wake, but not having to die to do it. <laughs> it was so, so encouraging, so uplifting, so building, so strengthening that these people were praying. Um, one uh, individual sent me a photo one morning of the uh, chapel prayer room um, and a kneeler there mm -hmm. and said, I'm praying for you. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a pretty special little room. It is. It is. Uh, it was a special season. I didn't raise my hand for it. I, I wouldn't be so uh, audacious to say I would raise my hand for it again. Yeah. It uh, definitely was rigorous and challenging for both myself and Kim. Couldn't have done it without her. Yeah. You know, she yeah. was a rock, um, a real rock. And we grew deeper. Our marriage uh, flourished in that season. We would, uh, we would celebrate communion mm -hmm. anytime I went to the hospital and when I came home from the hospital. We would celebrate communion every Sunday morning, um, feeding on, on that wafer and that cup, knowing that it embodied God's suffering through Jesus's crucifixion, but also our salvation and our transformation, our ultimate healing. All of that got wrapped up in those experiences uh, of us celebrating communion together. Uh, it just, there's the lessons that I was allowed and journaled on and the deepening of relationships uh, and ex those experiences. Uh, my word, my God is so faithful. It's a powerful moment. It was a powerful journey to watch. Um, terrifying in moments sure. for those of us looking on. Um, but it certainly was, has been a very encouraging thing to see that um, God allowed you more time. And, and I know you'll make the most of it. You're making the 21 most years. Of, 21 years, is it, to be exact. <laughs> of which we should talk too specific. often. So yeah. I think we're sitting at 19. 19, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for what God did yeah. in, that, in that moment. For Thank you for you your love and support and so. the love and support of crossings during that season. It was very endearing and very much used by the Holy Spirit. Well, we knew we wanted you well, but we really just needed our counselor back. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to be back. Get him back. We need our therapist. Uh, <laughs> I, I just want you to know as we draw this to a close, um, how much I appreciate you. We could not be doing what we're doing. Uh, you can't take what God had in mind when you showed up. And I look at what it's become. It would not be there at all had you not said yes to come in and be the first pastor to build um, this ministry to begin to help us know what that looked like in church life. And we have a lot of marriages that healed. We have a lot of families that, that pulled back together. And even in marriages that didn't last, they were able to at least go through a divorce and be at peace with each other and sort through whatever needed to be sorted through and, and help family, help the kids navigate this too. They weren't alone in this journey. 
And as hard as we want to try to keep people from choosing uh, ending a marriage, there are times they end. There are times they need to end. But you have been the one who knew what was needed. You knew the right people to bring in around you. And, uh, and you've, you've been a tremendous friend. And at times the counselor you didn't really want to be for me. <laughs> but you, you have really meant a lot to so many people. And I appreciate your time and, and letting us have a glimpse into how you got where you are. Let me say thank you for the opportunity and the way God has worked through you to give permission for all this to occur, your blessing, your personal support of me through some really challenging seasons. Thank you. You, you bet. Privilege. You're a great friend. Thank you. Thank you.